Section 1 of The Oxford Book of American Essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson. The Oxford Book of American Essays. Chosen by Brander Matthews. Section 1. Introduction. The customary antithesis between American literature and English literature is unfortunate and misleading in that it seems to exclude American authors from the noble role of those who have contributed to the literature of our mother tongue. Of course, when we consider it carefully, we cannot fail to see that the literature of a language is one and indivisible, and that the nativity or the domicile of those who make it matters nothing just as alexandrian literature is greek so american literature is english and as theocritus demands inclusion in any account of greek literature so thoreau cannot be omitted from any history of english literature as a whole the works of anthony hamilton and rousseau mademoiselle de Stey, and monsieur maeterlinck are not more indisputably a part of the literature of the French language than the works of Franklin and Emerson, of Hawthorne and Poe, are part of the literature of the English language. Theocritus may never have set foot on the soil of Greece, and Thoreau never adventured himself on the Atlantic to visit the island home of his ancestors. Yet the former expressed himself in Greek and the latter in English and how can either be neglected in any comprehensive survey of the literature of his own tongue none the less it is undeniable that there is in franklin and emerson in walt whitman and mark twain whatever their mastery of the idiom they inherited in common with steele and carlyle with browning and lamb an indefinable and intangible flavor which distinguishes the first group from the second the men who have set down the feelings and the thoughts the words and the deeds of the inhabitants of the united states have not quite the same outlook on life that we find in the men who have made a similar record in the british isles the social atmosphere is not the same on the opposite shores of the western ocean and the social organization is different in many particulars for all that american literature is in the apt phrase of mr howells a condition of english literature nevertheless it is also distinctively american american writers are as loyal to the finer traditions of english literature as british writers are they take an equal pride that they are also heirs of chaucer and dryden and subjects of king shakespeare yet they cannot help having the note of their own nationality green when he came to the fourth of july seventeen seventy six declared that thereafter the history of the english-speaking people flowed in two currents and it is equally obvious that the stream of english literature has now two channels the younger and smaller is american and what can we call the older and the ampler except british a century ago there were published collections entitled the british poets the british novelists and the british essayists and 
the adjective was probably then chosen to indicate that these gatherings included the work of scotch and irish writers whatever the reason the choice was happy and the same adjective would serve to indicate now that the selections excluded the work of american writers the british branch of english literature is the richer and the more various yet the american branch has its own richness and its own variety even if these qualities have revealed themselves only in the past hundred years it may be noted also that although american literature has not been adorned by so great a galaxy of brilliant names as illumined british literature in the nineteenth century it has had the good fortune to possess some authors of cosmopolitan fame that can be found in the german literature of the past hundred years in the italian or in the spanish a forgotten american essayist once asserted that foreign nations are a contemporaneous posterity and even if this smart saying is not to be taken too literally it has its significance there is therefore food for thought in the fact that at least half a dozen not to say half a score of american authors have won wide popularity outside the limits of their own language a statement which could not be made of as many german or italian or spanish authors of the nineteenth century from the death of goethe to the arrival of the playwrights of the present generation perhaps heine is the sole german writer either of prose or of verse who has established his reputation broadly among the readers of other tongues than his own and not more than one or two spanish or italian authors have been received either by their fellow latins as warmly as the french and the germans have welcomed cooper and poe emerson and mark twain it is to present typical and characteristic examples of the american contribution to english literature in the essay form that this volume has been prepared perhaps the term essay form is not happily chosen since the charm of the essay lies in the fact that it is not formal that it may be whimsical in its point of departure and capricious in its ramblings after it has got itself under way even the essay is itself a chameleon changing color while we study it there is little in common between locke's austere essay on the human understanding and lamb's fantastic and frolicsome essay on roast pig he would be bold indeed who should take compass and chain to measure off the precise territory of the essay and to mark with scientific exactness the boundaries which separate it from the address on the one side and from the letter on the other some there are that turn over all books and are equally searching in all papers said ben jonson that write out of what they presently find or meet without choice such are all the essayists ever their master montaigne bacon and emerson followed in the footsteps of montaigne and present us with the results of their browsings among books and of their own dispersed meditations in their hands the essay lacks cohesion and unity it is essentially discursive montaigne never stuck to his text when he had one 
and the paragraphs of any of emerson's essays might be shuffled without increasing their fortuitous discontinuity after montaigne and bacon came steele and addison in whose hands the essay broadened its scope and took on a new aspect the eighteenth-century essay is so various that it may be accepted as the forerunner of the nineteenth-century magazine with its character sketches and its brief tales its literary and dramatic criticism its obituary commemorations and its social stories for what but a serial story is the succession of papers devoted to the sayings and doings of sir roger it was a new departure although the writers of the tatler and of the spectator had profited by the conversations of walton and by the characters of la bruyere by the epistles of horace and by the comedies of moliere has it ever been pointed out that the method of steele and addison in depicting sir roger is curiously akin to the method of moliere in presenting monsieur jourdain the delightful form of poetry which we call by a french name vers de société although it has flourished more abundantly in english literature than in french and which mr austin dobson one of its supreme masters prefers to call by cowper's term familiar verse may be accepted as the metrical equivalent of the prose essay as this was developed and expanded by the english writers of the eighteenth century and as the familiar verse of our language is ampler and richer than that of any other tongue so also is the familiar essay indeed the essay is one of the most characteristic expressions of the quality of our race in its ease and its lightness and its variety it is almost unthinkable in german and even in french it is far less frequent than in english and far less assiduously cultivated as emerson trod in the footsteps of bacon so washington irving walked in the trail blazed by steele and addison and goldsmith and franklin earlier although his essays are in fact only letters had revealed his possession of the special quality the essay demands the playful wisdom of a man of the world who is also a man of letters indeed dr franklin was far better fitted to shine as an essayist than his more ponderous contemporary dr johnson certainly franklin would never have made little fishes talk like whales and in the nineteenth century the american branch of english literature has had a group of essayists less numerous than that which adorned the british branch but no less interesting or less important to their own people among these american essayists we may find all sorts and conditions of writers poets adventuring themselves in prose novelists eschewing story-telling statesmen turning for a moment to matters of less weight men of science and men of affairs chatting about themselves and airing their opinions at large in their hands as in the hands of their british contemporaries the essay remains infinitely various refusing to conform to any single type and insisting on being itself and on expressing its author we find in the best of these american essayists 
the familiar style and the everyday vocabulary the apparent simplicity and the seeming absence of effort the horror of pedantry and the scorn of affectation which are the abiding characteristics of the true essay we find also the flavor of good talk of the sprightly conversation that may sparkle in front of a wood-fire and that often vanishes with the curling blue smoke it is the bounden duty of every maker of an anthology to set forth the principles that have guided him in the choice of the examples he is proffering to the public the present editor has excluded purely literary criticism as not quite falling within the boundaries of the essay properly so called then he has avoided all set orations although he has not hesitated to include more than one paper originally prepared to be read aloud by its writer because these examples seem to him to fall within the boundaries of the essay nearly all of emerson's essays it may be noted had been lectures in an early stage of their existence furthermore he has omitted all fiction strictly to be so termed although he would gladly have welcomed an apologue like mark twain's travelling with a reformer which is essentially an essay despite its use of dialogue he has included also franklin's dialogue with the gout which is instinct with the true spirit of the essay and he has accepted as essays franklin's ephemera and the whistle although they are both of them letters to the same lady as the essay flowers out of leisure and out of culture and as there has been in the united states no long background of easy tranquillity there is in the american branch of english literature a relative deficiency in certain of the lighter forms of the essay more abundantly represented in the british branch and therefore the less frequent examples of these lighter forms have been companioned by graver discussions never grave enough however to be described as disquisitions finally every selection is presented entire except that dana's paper on keen's acting has been shorn of a needless preparatory note brander matthews the ephemera an emblem of human life to madame billon of passy benjamin franklin you may remember my dear friend that when we lately spent that happy day in the delightful garden and sweet society of the moulin joli i stopped a little in one of our walks and stayed some time behind the company we had been shown numberless skeletons of a kind of little fly called an ephemera whose successive generations we were told were bred and expired within the day i happened to see a living company of them on a leaf who appeared to be engaged in conversation you know i understand all the inferior animal tongues my too great application to the study of them is the best excuse i can give for the little progress i have made in your charming language i listened through curiosity to the discourse of these little creatures but as they in their national vivacity spoke three or four of them i could make but little of their conversation i found however by some broken expressions 
that I heard now and then they were disputing warmly on the merit of two foreign musicians, one a cousin and the other a mochetto, in which dispute they spent their time, seemingly as regardless of the shortness of life as if they had been sure of living a month. Happy people, thought I. You are certainly under a wise, just, and mild government, since you have no public grievances to complain of, nor any subject of contention but the perfections and imperfections of foreign music. I turned my head from them to an old grey-headed one, who was single on another leaf and talking to himself. Being amused with his soliloquy, I put it down in writing, in hopes it will likewise amuse her, to whom I am so much indebted for the most pleasing of all amusements, her delicious company and heavenly harmony. It was, said he, the opinion of learned philosophers of our race, who lived and flourished long before my time, that this vast world, the Moulin Jolie, could not itself subsist more than eighteen hours, and I think there was some foundation for that opinion, since, by the apparent motion of the great luminary that gives life to all nature, and which in my time has evidently declined considerably toward the ocean at the end of our earth, it must then finish its course, be extinguished in the waters that surround us, and leave the world in cold and darkness, necessarily producing universal death and destruction. I have lived seven of those hours, a great age, being no less than four hundred and twenty minutes of time. How very few of us continue so long! I have seen generations born, flourish, and expire. My present friends are the children and grandchildren of the friends of my youth, who are now, alas, no more. And I must now follow them, for by the course of nature, though still in health, I cannot expect to live above seven or eight minutes longer. What now avails all my toil and labor in amassing honey-dew on this leaf, which I cannot live to enjoy? What the political struggles I have been engaged in for the good of my compatriot inhabitants of this bush? or my philosophical studies for the benefit of our race in general. For in politics, what can laws do without morals? Our present race of ephemerae will, in a course of minutes, become corrupt, like those of other and older bushes, and consequently as wretched. And in philosophy, how small our progress! Alas, art is long and life is short. My friends would comfort me with the idea of a name they say I shall leave behind me, and they tell me I have lived long enough to nature and to glory. But what will fame be to an ephemera who no longer exists? And what will become of all history in the eighteenth hour, when the world itself, even the whole Moulin Jolie, shall come to its end, and be buried in universal ruin? To me, after all my eager pursuits, no solid pleasures now remain, but the reflection of a long life spent in meaning, well, sensible conversation of a few good lady ephemerae, and now and then a kind smile and a tune from the ever-amiable brillante.
the whistle to madame brillon benjamin franklin i received my dear friends two letters one for wednesday and one for saturday this is again wednesday i do not deserve one for today because i have not answered the former but indolent as i am and averse to writing the fear of having no more of your pleasing epistles if i do not contribute to the correspondence obliges me to take up my pen and as mr b has kindly sent me word that he sets out to-morrow to see you instead of spending this wednesday evening as i have done its namesakes in your delightful company i sit down to spend it in thinking of you in writing to you and in reading over and over again your letters i am charmed with your description of paradise and with your plan of living there and i approve much of your conclusion that in the meantime we should draw all the good we can from this world in my opinion we might all draw more good from it than we do and suffer less evil if we would take care not to give too much for whistles for to me it seems that most of the unhappy people we meet with are become so by neglect of that caution you ask what i mean you love stories and will excuse my telling one of myself when i was a child of seven years old my friends on a holiday filled my pocket with coppers i went directly to a shop where they sold toys for children being charmed with the sound of a whistle that i met by the way in the hands of another boy i voluntarily offered and gave all my money for one i then came home and went whistling all over the house much pleased with my whistle but disturbing all the family my brothers and sisters and cousins understanding the bargain i had made told me i had given four times as much for it as it was worth put me in mind with good things i might have bought with the rest of the money and laughed at me so much for my folly that i cried in vexation and the reflection gave me more chagrin than the whistle gave me pleasure this however was afterwards of use to me click this however was afterwards of use to me the impression continuing on my mind so that often when i was tempted to buy some unnecessary thing i said to myself don't give too much for that whistle and i saved my money as i grew up came into the world and observed the actions of men i thought i met with many very many who gave too much for the whistle when i saw one too ambitious of court favor sacrificing his time in attendance on levies his repose his liberty his virtue and perhaps his friends to attain it i have said to myself this man gives too much for his whistle when i saw another fond of popularity constantly employing himself in political bustles neglecting his own affairs and ruining them by that neglect he pays indeed said i too much for his whistle if i knew a miser who gave up every kind of comfortable living all the pleasure of doing good to others all the esteem of his fellow-citizens and the joys of benevolent friendship for the sake of accumulating wealth poor man said i you pay too much for your whistle when i met with a man of pleasure 
sacrificing every laudable improvement of the mind or of his fortune to mere corporeal sensations and ruining his health in their pursuits mistaken man said i you are providing pain for yourself instead of pleasure you give too much for your whistle if i see one fond of appearance or fine clothes fine houses fine furniture fine equipages all above his fortune for which he contracts debts and ends his career in a prison alas say i he has paid dear very dear for his whistle when i see a beautiful sweet-tempered girl married to an ill-natured brute of a husband what a pity say i that she should pay so much for a whistle in short i conceive that great part of the miseries of mankind are brought upon them by the false estimates they have made of the value of things and by their giving too much for their whistles yet i ought to have charity for these unhappy people when i consider that with all this wisdom of which i am boasting there are certain things in the world so tempting for example the apples of king john which happily are not to be bought for if they were put to sale by auction i might very easily be led to ruin myself in the purchase and find that i had once more given too much for the whistle adieu my dear friend and believe me ever yours very sincerely and with unalterable affection dialogue between franklin and the gout midnight twenty second of october seventeen eighty franklin eh oh eh what have i done to merit these cruel sufferings gout many things you have ate and drank too freely and too much indulged those legs of yours in their indolence franklin who is it that accuses me gout it is i even i the gout franklin what my enemy in person gout no not your enemy franklin i repeat it my enemy for you would not only torment my body to death but ruin my good name you reproach me as a glutton and a tippler now all the world that knows me will allow that i am neither the one nor the other gout the world may think as it pleases it is always very complacent to itself and sometimes to its friends but i very well know that the quantity of meat and drink proper for a man who takes a reasonable degree of exercise would be too much for another who never takes any franklin i take oh oh as much exercise oh as i can madame gout you know my sedentary state and on that account it would seem madame gout as if you might spare me a little seeing it is not altogether my own fault gout not a jot your rhetoric and your politeness are thrown away your apology avails nothing if your situation in life is a sedentary one your amusements your recreation at least should be active you ought to walk or ride or if the weather prevents that play at billiards but let us examine your course of life while the mornings are long and you have leisure to go abroad what do you do 
why instead of gaining an appetite for breakfast by salutary exercise you amuse yourself with books pamphlets or newspapers which commonly are not worth the reading yet you eat an inordinate breakfast four dishes of tea with cream and one or two buttered toasts with slices of hung beef which i fancy are not things the most easily digested immediately afterwards you sit down to write at your desk or converse with persons who apply to you on business thus the time passes till one without any kind of bodily exercise but all this i could pardon in regard as you say to your sedentary condition but what is your practice after dinner walking in the beautiful gardens of those friends with whom you have dined would be the choice of men of sense yours is to be fixed down to chess where you are found engaged for two or three hours this is your perpetual recreation which is the least eligible of any for a sedentary man because instead of accelerating the motion of the fluids the rigid attention it requires helps to retard the circulation and obstruct internal secretions wrapped in the speculations of this wretched game you destroy your constitution what can be expected from such a course of living but a body replete with stagnant humours ready to fall play to all kinds of dangerous maladies if i the gout did not occasionally bring you relief by agitating those humours and so purifying or dissipating them if it was in some nook or alley in paris deprived of walks that you played a while at chess after dinner this might be excusable but the same taste prevails with you in passy hotel montmartre assanoy places where there are the finest gardens and walks a pure air beautiful women and most agreeable and instructive conversation all which you might enjoy by frequenting the walks but these are rejected for this abominable game of chess fie then mr franklin but amidst my instructions i had almost forgot to administer my wholesome corrections so take that twinge and that franklin oh e oh oh as much instruction as you please madame gout and as many reproaches but pray madame a truce with your corrections gout no sir no i will not abate a particle of what is so much for your good therefore franklin oh eh it is not fair to say i take no exercise when i do very often going out to dine and returning in my carriage gout that of all imaginable exercises is the most slight and insignificant if you allude to the motion of a carriage suspended on springs by observing the degree of heat obtained by different kinds of motion we may form an estimate of the quantity of exercise given by each thus for example if you turn out to walk in winter with cold feet in an hour's time you will be in a glow all over ride on horseback the same effect will scarcely be perceived by four hours round trotting but if you lull in a carriage such as you have mentioned you may travel all day and gladly enter the last inn to warm your feet by a fire flatter yourself then no longer that half an hour's airing in your carriage 
deserves the name of exercise. Providence has appointed few to rolling carriages, while he has given to all a pair of legs, which are machines infinitely more commodious and serviceable. Be grateful, then, and make a proper use of yours. Would you know how they forward the circulation of your fluids in the very action of transporting you from place to place? Observe when you walk that all your weight is alternately thrown from one leg to the other. This occasions a great pressure on the vessels of the foot and repels their contents. When relieved by the weight being thrown on the other foot, the vessels of the first are allowed to replenish, and by a return to this weight this repulsion again succeeds, thus accelerating the circulation of the blood. The heat produced at any given time depends on the degree of this acceleration. The fluids are shaken, the humours attenuated, the secretions facilitated, and all goes well. The cheeks are ruddy, and health is established. Behold your fair friend at Autouille, a lady who received from bounteous nature more readily useful science than half a dozen such pretenders to philosophy as you have been able to extract from all your books. When she honours you with a visit, it is on foot. She walks all hours of the day, and leaves indolence and its concomitant maladies to be endured by her horses. In this, see at once the preservative of her health and personal charms. But when you go to Autouille, you must have your carriage, though it is no farther from Passy to Autouille than from Autouille to Passy. Franklin, your reasonings grow very tiresome. Gout, I stand corrected. I will be silent and continue my office. Take that and that. Franklin, oh, oh. Talk on, I pray you. Gout, no, no. I have a good number of twinges for you tonight, and you may be sure of some more tomorrow. Franklin, what, with such a fever? I shall go distracted. Oh, hey! Can no one bear it for me? Gout. Ask that of your horses. They have served you faithfully. Franklin. How can you so cruelly sport with my torments? Gout. Sport? I am very serious. I have here a list of offences against your own health, distinctly written, and can justify every stroke inflicted on you. Read it, then. Click. Franklin. Read it, then. Gout. It is too long a detail, but I will briefly mention some particulars. Franklin, proceed. I am all attention. Gout, do you remember how often you have promised yourself the following morning a walk in the grove of Bologna, in the garden of De La Mute, or in your own garden, and have violated your promise, alleging at one time it was too cold, at another too warm, too windy, too moist, or what else you pleased? when in truth it was too nothing but your insuperable love of ease. That, I confess, may have happened occasionally, probably ten times in a year. Gout, your confession is very far short of the truth. The gross amount is one hundred and ninety-nine times. Franklin, is it possible? Gout, so possible that it is fact. You may rely on the accuracy of my statement 
you know Monsieur Billon's gardens, and what fine walks they contain. You know the handsome flight of a hundred steps, which lead from the terrace above to the lawn below. You have been in the practice of visiting this amiable family twice a week after dinner, and it is a maxim of your own that a man may take as much exercise in walking a mile up and downstairs as in ten on level ground what an opportunity was here for you to have had exercise in both these ways did you embrace it and how often franklin i cannot immediately answer that question gout i will do it for you not once franklin not once gout even so during the summer you went there at six o'clock you found the charming lady with her lovely children and friends eager to walk with you and entertain you with their agreeable conversation and what has been your choice why to sit on the terrace satisfy yourself with a fine prospect and passing your eye over the beauties of the garden below without taking one step to descend and walk about in them on the contrary you call for tea and the chessboard, and lo, you are occupied in your seat till nine o'clock, and that besides two hours' play after dinner, and then, instead of walking home, which would have bestirred you a little, you step into your carriage. How absurd to suppose that all this carelessness can be reconcilable with your health without my interposition. Franklin, I am convinced now of the justice of poor richard's remark that our debts and our sins are always greater than we think for gout so it is you philosophers are sages in your maxims and fools in your conduct franklin but do you charge among my crimes that i return in a carriage from monsieur billon's gout certainly for having been seated all the while you cannot object the fatigue of the day and cannot want therefore the relief of a carriage franklin what then would you have me do with my carriage gout burn it if you choose you would at least get heat out of it once in this way or if you dislike that proposal here's another for you observe the poor peasants who work in the vineyards and grounds about the villages of passy autun and chalot etc you may find every day among these deserving creatures four or five old men and women bent and perhaps crippled by weight of years and too long and too great labor after a most fatiguing day these people have to trudge a mile or two to their smoky huts order your coachman to set them down this is an act that will be good for your soul and at the same time after your visit the brillons if you return on foot that will be good for your body franklin ah how tiresome you are gout well then to my office it should not be forgotten that i am your physician there franklin oh what a devil of a physician gout how ungrateful you are to say so is it not i who in the character of your physician have saved you from the palsy dropsy and apoplexy one or other of which would have done for you long ago but for me franklin i submit 
and i thank you for the past but entreat the discontinuance of your visits for the future for in my mind one had better die than be cured so dolefully permit me just to hint that i have also not been unfriendly to you i never feed physician or quack of any kind to enter the list against you if then you do not leave me to my repose it may be said you are ungrateful too gout i can scarcely acknowledge that as any objection as to quacks i despise them they may kill you indeed but cannot injure me and as to regular physicians they are at least convinced that the gout in such a subject as you are is no disease but a remedy and wherefore cure a remedy but to our business there franklin oh oh for heaven's sake leave me and i promise faithfully never more to play at chess but to take exercise daily and live temperately gout i know you too well you promise fair but after a few months of good health you will return to your old habits your fine promises will be forgotten like the forms of last year's clouds let us then finish the account and i will go but i leave you with an assurance of visiting you again at a proper time and place for my object is your good and you are sensible now that i am your real friend consolation for the old bachelor francis hopkinson mr atkin your old bachelor having pathetically represented the miseries of his solitary situation severely reproaching himself for having neglected to marry in his younger days i would fain alleviate his distress by showing that it is possible he might have been as unhappy even in the honourable state of matrimony i am a shoemaker in this city and by my industry and attention have been enabled to maintain my wife and a daughter now six years old in comfort and respect and to lay by a little at the year's end against a rainy day my good wife had long teased me to take her to new york in order to visit mrs snip the lady of an eminent tailor in that city and her cousin from whom she had received many pressing invitations this jaunt had been the daily subject of discussion at breakfast dinner and supper for a month before the time fixed upon for putting it in execution as our daughter jenny could by no means be left at home many and great were the preparations to equip miss and her mamma for their important journey and yet as my wife assured me there was nothing provided but what was absolutely necessary and which we could not possibly do without my purse sweat at every pore at last the long-expected day arrived preceded by a very restless night for as my wife could not sleep for thinking on the approaching jaunt neither would she suffer me to repose in quiet if i happened through wearisomeness to fall into a slumber she immediately roused me by some 
unseasonable question or remark frequently asking if i was sure the apprentice had greased the chair wheels and seen that the harness was clean and in good order often observing how surprised her cousin snip would be to see us and as often wondering how poor dear miss jenny would bear the fatigue of the journey thus passed the night in delightful discourse if that can with propriety be called a discourse wherein my wife was the only speaker my replies never exceeding the monosyllables yes or no murmured between sleeping and waking no sooner was it fair daylight but up started my notable wife and soon roused the whole family the little trunk was stuffed with baggage even to bursting and tied behind the chair and the chair box was crammed with trumpery which we could not possibly do without miss jenny was dressed and breakfast devoured in haste the old negro wench was called in and the charge of the house committed to her care and the two apprentices and the hired maid received many wholesome cautions and instructions for their conduct during our absence all of which they most liberally promised to observe whilst i attended with infinite patience the adjustment of these preliminaries at length however we set off and turning the first corner lost sight of our habitation with great regret on my part and no less joy on the part of miss jenny and her mamma when we got to pool's bridge there happened to be a great concourse of wagons carts etc so that we could not pass for some time miss jenny frightened my wife very impatient and uneasy wondered i did not call out to those impudent fellows to make way for us observing that i had not the spirit of a louse having got through this difficulty we proceeded without obstruction my wife in good humor again miss jenny in high spirits at kensington fresh troubles arise bless me miss jenny says my wife where is the bandbox i don't know mamma the last time i saw it it was on the table in your room what's to be done the bandbox is left behind it contains miss jenny's new wire cap there is no possibility of doing without it as well no new york as no wire cap there is no alternative we must e'en go back for it teased and mortified as i was my good wife administered consolation by observing that it was my business to see that everything was put into the chair that ought to be but there was no depending upon me for anything and that she plainly saw i undertook this journey with an ill will merely because she had set her heart upon it silent patience was my only remedy an hour and a half restored to us this essential requisite the wire cap and brought us back to the place where we first missed it after innumerable difficulties and unparalleled dangers occasioned by ruts stumps and tremendous bridges we arrived at neshamony ferry but how to cross it was the question 
my wife protested that neither she nor jenny would go over in the boat with the horse i assured her that there was not the least danger that the horse was as quiet as a dog and that i would hold him by the bridle all the way these assurances had little weight the most forcible argument was that she must go that way or not at all for there was no other boat to be had thus persuaded she ventured in the flies were troublesome the horse kicked my wife in panics miss jenny in tears ditto at trenton ferry as we started pretty early and as the days were long we reached trenton by two o'clock here we dined my wife found fault with everything and whilst she disposed of what i thought a tolerable hearty meal declared there was nothing fit to eat matters however would have gone on pretty well but miss jenny began to cry with the toothache sad lamentations over miss jenny all my fault because i had not made the glazier replace a broken pane in her chamber window nota bene i had been twice for him and he promised to come but was not so good as his word after dinner we again entered upon our journey my wife in good humour miss jenny's toothache much easier various chat i acknowledge everything my wife says for fear of discomposing her we arrive in good time at princeton my wife and daughter admire the college we refresh ourselves with tea and go to bed early in order to be up by times for the next day's expedition in the morning we set off again in tolerable good humour and proceeded happily as far as rocky hill here my wife's fears and terrors returned with great force i drove as carefully as possible but coming to a place where one of the wheels must unavoidably go over the point of a small rock my wife in a great fright seized hold of one of the reins which happening to be the wrong one she pulled the horse so as to force the wheel higher up the rock than it would otherwise have gone and overset the chair we were all tumbled hicklety picklety into the road miss jenny's face all bloody the woods echo to her cries my wife in a fainting fit and i in great misery secretly and most devoutly wishing cousin snip at the devil matters begin to mend my wife recovers miss jenny has only received a slight scratch on one of her cheeks the horse stands quite still and none of the harness broke matters grew worse again the twine with which the bandbox was tied had broke in the fall and the aforesaid wire cap lay soaking in a nasty mud puddle grievous lamentations over the wire cap all my fault because i did not tie it better no remedy no wire caps to be bought at rocky hill at night my wife discovered a small bruise on her hip was apprehensive it might mortify did not know but the bone might be broken or splintered 
many instances of mortifications occasioned by small injuries after passing unhurt over the imminent dangers of passaic and hackensack rivers and the yet more tremendous horrors paulus hook ferry we arrived at the close of the third day at cousin snips in the city of new york here we sojourned a tedious week my wife spent as much money as would have maintained my family for a month at home in purchasing a hundred useless articles which we could not possibly do without and every night when we went to bed fatigued me with encomiums on her cousin snip leading to a history of the former grandeur of her family and concluding with insinuations that i did not treat her with the attention and respect i ought on the seventh day my wife and cousin snip had a pretty warm altercation respecting the comparative elegancies and advantages of new york and philadelphia the disputes ran high and many aggravating words passed between the two advocates the next morning my wife declared that my business would not admit of a longer absence from home and so after much ceremonious complaisance in which my wife was by no means exceeded by her very polite cousin we left the famous city of new york and i with heartfelt satisfaction looked forward to the happy period of our safe arrival in water street philadelphia but this blessing was not to be obtained without much vexation and trouble but lest i should seem tedious i shall not recount the adventures of our return how we were caught in a thunderstorm how our horse failed by which we were benighted three miles from our stage how my wife's panics returned how miss jenny howled and how very miserable i was made suffice it to say that after many distressing disasters we arrived at the door of our own habitation in water street no sooner had we entered the house than we were informed that one of my apprentices had run away with the hired maid nobody knew where the old negro had got drunk fallen into the fire and burnt out one of her eyes and our best china bowl was broken my good wife contrived with her usual ingenuity to throw the blame of all these misfortunes upon me as this was a consolation to which i had been long accustomed in all untoward cases i had recourse to my usual remedy vis-a-vis silent patience after sincerely praying that i might never more see cousin snip i sat industriously down to my trade in order to retrieve my manifold losses this is only a miniature picture of the married state which i present to your old bachelor in hopes it may abate his choler and reconcile him to a single life but if this opiate should not be sufficient to give him some ease i may perhaps send him a stronger dose hereafter end of section one